Good morning. As Pastor Josh prepares to come up this morning, we'll be in our final week of the stewardship series in which Pastor Josh will be going through stewardship of our finances to help prepare our hearts for that discussion. Let us consider the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 9. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul has already addressed the practical reality of believers' dependence upon one another. He has acknowledged and thanked the Corinthians for their generous spirit in helping other believers elsewhere. And in verses 6 through 9, he transitions to a reminder of the theology that, that has to motivate that giving. A theology that is not motivated by a desire to be recognized by our fellow man, or to be recognized for how generous we are, but rather it's a theology that understands our generosity is to be motivated to reflect the generosity that, that God has shown us, and to reflect a dependence that we have daily upon him, knowing that everything is ultimately from his hand. And so as we consider our own hearts and our own generosity, let us hear this reminder in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 9. Follow along with me as I read. There Paul says, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound, in, uh, abound to you, so that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Please be seated and bow your heads in prayer with me as we ask God's blessing upon our time this morning. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity as always to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ to sing songs of worship to you, to be reminded of how good you are. And this morning, to be reminded of how generous you have been to us. God, we thank you for your rich provision you've given us. Both spiritually, of course, we praise you for the provision of your son, Jesus Christ, who saves us from our sins, who forgives us of all of our iniquities, God. We recognize that we would be utterly helpless apart from that sacrifice. But we thank you also for the generosity you've shown in providing for us here in this building, in this church, God. We thank you for the many blessings you've given us as a church, God. As we consider the words of Paul this morning and here in a moment, as we consider this topic of stewardship, God, might we do it all out of a proper reflection and appreciation of that generosity that you've shown us, God. God, might we be humbled and be reminded of the fact that we could never possibly match your generosity, whether it is in terms of the encouragement we offer others or even the physical support we're, we are able to offer. God, in all that we do, might we do it as Paul speaks here. Might we do it with joy, recognizing it as a gift, recognizing it as a great opportunity. Might we do it as a reflection of your own generous heart, God. As a body, might we better reflect you this coming year. Might we better represent your generosity and how we treat one another and how we communicate our desires to serve the community in which you've placed us, God. Might we do it all not in a desire to make ourselves better known, not to increase the fame of Cape Bible Chapel, but to increase the fame of your son, Jesus Christ. And it might be your generous spirit that is ultimately seen in our own giving and our own hearts. We love you so much, God. We pray that you remove all distractions from us as we continue our time of worship and the preaching of your word. Might you bless the remaining time that we have here this morning. And it is in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.
Well, as Pastor Ben said, we are in our last uh, week of our stewardship series. And I know, secretly, this is the message you've been waiting for, isn't it? From the very beginning, you thought, oh, I want him to tell me about my money. Because that's what churches do. They want money from people. Well, I'll tell you, God isn't in need of your money. He has the storehouses and the riches of heaven to pour out at any divine time and sovereign moment that he so chooses. But for us as believers, being a good and wise steward uh, with what we have and what God has blessed us with is a, certainly a tremendous privilege to us. And that's how uh, we want to look at it this morning, that, that giving, our stewardship of our treasure, is really a privilege for us, not this burden that we perceive and have this mindset where, oh, all they want is this. Or we have this God who somehow is, is exacting things from me when I don't have it. Why would he do that? No, that's not the kind of God that we have. If you would, take your Bible. We're going to be in Mark chapter 12 this morning. I figured since we've been on the Tuesday of the Passion Week and a number of different things in the Olivet Discourse, we would go to Mark 12, which is a teaching that happened just preceding the Olivet Discourse when he's talking about um, uh, this idea of how individuals give, and specifically in the notion of the widow who Jesus sat his disciples down and, and spoke to them about this. In one particular leadership magazine, uh, an individual wrote that there was a pastor one day who was preaching and uh, on a Sunday morning and one of the elderly ladies who uh, all of a sudden was, was in worship, had passed out, hit her head on the pew in front of her and lay there and one of the individuals in the congregation it was an EMT that called 911, and everything is going on. And, and, and all of a sudden, as they're strapping her in on the stretcher to take her out, make sure she's okay, uh, she, she comes to out, of, out, out from being knocked out, and she signals to her daughter. And the congregation somewhat gasped for a moment because they thought, for sure, this is this elderly woman's last breath. To which she whispered to her daughter, my tithe check is in my purse. Don't forget it. Now, you think about a seriousness of giving or a love to give, and I would just pose the question to you this morning, do you love giving? Do you love giving not only of your treasure, of course that's what we're going to talk about, but do you love giving of your time and your talents? And yes, even the resources in money that God has given to you. Because God, it says, as, you, as we have read in our scripture passage, God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, tithing and, and giving and worship of your money was always part of a believer's life from the very uh, times of old for the Jewish people. If you were to read in Numbers 18 where they begin to lay out the idea of giving a tithe, bringing of a variety of different things. Tithes was tithing in your first fruits of whether it was your grain or whether it was various components in a in that culture but if you really realize it what you what you come to understand and appreciate is that the jewish people never really looked at it saying god how dare you ask us to give something and nor in all my years of ministry have i ever had a circumstance 
where a pastor was able to get up, as I think it was Moses in the Old Testament, uh, or Aaron, that said to the people, stop giving, we have enough. You've never heard a pastor say that. The reality is, is that God doesn't need your money, but he wants your worship. He doesn't need your money, but he wants your worship. And giving is a way to worship. And therefore, we have to think about this in our lives because it is so important as we walk through a text like this to remember that the more, the more trust you have, the more sacrifice you are willing to make. And, and this is something that I've been uh, astounded by, and you're going to see this in the text before us, is the faith of a widow who would give all that she had. Her trust was so different than everyone else uh, appearingly that was in the temple, at least one that Jesus would recognize. But the more trust you have, the more willing you become to make sacrifices and say, I want to give this to the Lord. You know, one of the things uh, that we have to really work hard at is not to become overly possessive about the things God gives to us. I mean, don't tell me if you're any normal person, you've probably experienced writing out a certain check a certain time going, oh, I don't know about this, but I guess I'll do it anyway. I could use it for this. Oh, I've got to pay a bill. And you've been reluctant, perhaps, even to give the way God desires for you in a, with a heart of worship. Well, that was certainly not the widow that we find. And I want to give two different uh, connected texts starting in Mark chapter 12, verse number 38 is where I want to start. Let's begin by at least discussing, and we'll stop halfway through, to talk primarily about the prosperous and proud, because this really sets up the reality of, of the other side of it. Mark chapter 12, verse 38, here's what he says, follow along if you will. It says, and in his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a, for, and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Now let's just stop there because we're going to get to the rest of this. But I want us to really grab a hold of the context and what Jesus is saying. Remember, Jesus in his last week, in the Passion Week on Tuesday, his last public discourse, he is in the temple. He is teaching. I don't think this was a widely accepted uh, idea of teaching, especially when you back up to Matthew 23 and you realize he said things like this. It says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they, he said, so do observe whatever they tell you, but do not the works they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move, move them with, with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. You go down in Matthew 23, he says this again, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. 
These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Later on, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. I mean, probably not the most popular teaching on the temple that day, but here's what would happen. The people, the common people, loved Jesus' denunciation of the hypocrisy. In fact, the, the people were so pleased with how Jesus was teaching the truth that it says the Sadducees were afraid to approach Jesus for the sake of the crowd's popularity of Jesus. Jesus protected himself by the crowds because he knew what was going on. If you understand Old Testament and, and realize some of the commonplace of what was going on in the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, you notice that all of these are denounced at one point or another. But there was a difference, by the way, when they came to Passover at the temple between the scribes, uh, between the scribes and Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees and the scribes were, were those individuals that had a commonplace in the synagogue system. They were in various control of the synagogues all throughout Palestine. But the Sadducees, on the other hand, ruled the Temple Mount. The Sadducees waited for moments of Passover so they could come and exact various com uh, components of overage charges for sacrificial animals. And Jesus comes, and when he turns over the money changer's table... And he denounces them and he drives them out of the temple and says, my father's house is, a house of, is a house of prayer and a house of worship. Jesus was desirous for all that would go on in his temple to be filled with worship and that included the giving. The scribes and Pharisees uh, were often look, looked at by the people as this popular wealthy well-to-do class that really had nothing to do with the people. In fact, if you saw a Pharisee walking down the street, it was something of uh, a practice that people would get up from where they were sitting and at least stand up and reverence and somewhat honor them because of their long robes and closely connected to them, both on a popularity level because of their connection with the Pharisees, but also their function, the scribes, were also connected with those who are often denounced by Jesus as well. Well, some scribes were not Pharisees. In fact, many scribes were not. They were the individuals that you could go to. They knew the law well, which is why Jesus often denounced them. They should have known better. And they were proud at heart. And then a functional aspect of a scribe, which is why they are brought up here, who, like the Pharisees, like to walk around in their long robes and light greetings in the marketplaces, these are the individuals who would write all the legal documents that needed to go out. If you, if you needed some legal component to be written for you, you went to the scribe, they made sure that it was accordance with the law, and now what the scribes would often do, and here's the connection with the point of the passage in, uh, in the widow who gave is that when people would come and they would deal with all kinds of estates and, and dealing with all of their money and their estate planning, they would often cheat them out of money. Oh, well, I'll just take this little bit amount. And now Jesus has something to say 
to people who take advantage of poor, helpless widows. And the scribes would often do these kinds of things as they would write up their legal documentation, defrauding the widow who had nothing. Which is why in the passage that we have, where it says they love the best seats in the synagogue, if you understood the synagogue functionality as they were teaching God's word, there were seats that were around that were the prize seats. And those who were wealthy and Pharisees and scribes and, and others would often get those seats, which is why when we get to the book of James in the synagogue, he says, when the rich man comes in, don't usher him to the front. Don't treat him differently than you do anyone else. These scribes, just like the Pharisees, they loved the best seats in the house. They loved being viewed by men. They often gave in various ways of tithing so that people visibly could say, wow, look at what they could give. Well, I'll tell you what, these long robes and best seats in the, in the synagogues and the feasts and the long prayers to be heard by men is, no other, is seen no other than a prideful heart that is displayed in the life of a pharisaical individual. Yes, that can still happen today. Pride can fill the heart of any man or woman in the house of God thinking, hey, look at me. Look at what I do for the church. Look at my role. Look at my function. Now, the best seats in the house are starting to be taken all in the front. So if you're there, I mean, we have a whole youth getting there, college there, everybody's going to be moving up. The reality is, is that pride can fill our hearts and pride fills itself in a way often when it comes to the way we steward our treasure where we say, you know what, the church ought to be pretty happy with me because I am a consistent giver. If I get lost on some remote island, they will find me because they need me. See, pride can be so dangerous in the life of the giver that all of a sudden simply says, uh, you know, look at what I have. You know, believer, Christian, you and I, we have nothing except God pours out his riches of mercy and grace. And most of our, uh, when we think about the riches of heaven, are not the things that we hold in material possessions. It's the things that, that Jesus Christ has done for our spiritual well-being who has transformed us. And these scribes often pushed away Jesus and the teaching of Jesus because their hearts were so proud. They loved to gloat. Well, what was the result of this? Is that the class of people, uh, they didn't sacrifice in godly ways. They sacrificed so that people could somehow say, wow, look at you. Look at you with your long robes and your seats in the synagogue Man, I wish I could be like that. Oh, how often perhaps someone has said to themselves, Lord, I would love to try to be entrusted with an exorbitant amount of wealth. If you gave me what, if you gave it to me, I promise you I would give back to you. I promise you that I would give to the poor. I would give sacrificially. I would do all kinds of good things. But I'm waiting on you. Like you can trust me. Believer, 
the issue is not how much money you have. It's not a matter of whether you're wealthy, middle class, or poor class in some cultural setting. What matters to Jesus is that when he looks at your heart, no matter what you give, no matter what you possess, are you doing it with the heart attitude that would be pleasing to the Father? That is not in, 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 influenced by a level of pride. Well, where does pride seep in so often in the area of giving? Well, it certainly can, it can seep in by, by saying, hey, this heart attitude internally and no one sees, and we say, man, I really give a lot. Good for me. It can also seep into the reality where people say, you know, uh, I get, once I pay all my bills and I get things that are a little bit more comfortable, and, and our family's in a little comfortable, more, more comfortable position, if I had a little bit more expendable income, then I'll consider whether or not I should actually give. See, Pride is even at times withholding the very things from God that already belong to him anyway. And I would challenge you this morning. Pride causes a person not to take a look at their life and ask, are they, are, am I giving in a way that pleases the Lord? But let us not forget this reality. God says he loves a cheerful giver. Now, you're not going to hear uh, often pastors say something like this. Don't give if your heart's not in the right place. But I'm telling you this morning, if you are giving and you don't want to give, please stop. Because God doesn't need your money. He wants your worship. God doesn't, doesn't need you to to fulfill or pay some bill at the chapel. He wants your worship. He wants your heart. And I would challenge you this morning, if you are at a point in your life and you say to yourself, you look at your budget, you look at your life, and you say, oh, I'm not giving, let me just challenge you for a moment. This is difficult. That's not right. That's wrong. This often happened in the life of various people in Old Testament times. You think about what Malachi says in Malachi the prophet, where he says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. From the days of your father you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? And he says, and he says in verse 8, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, but you say, how have we robbed you? And the prophet says from the Lord, in your tithes and your contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Now, while God doesn't need your money and he wants your worship, but if you are at a point where you say, I don't want to give, that actually points you to the question of not how you should turn around next Sunday and give something. Please begin to examine your own heart. Because Christians, by the way, are some of the most benevolent people I have ever met in my entire life. Christians, by the way, are the ones who often bring various levels of nonprofit ministry to help countless individuals around the world. 
because of the way that Jesus cares for them. There's a danger, and Paul mentions it in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, which is where pride can also come out of. 1 Timothy 6, verse 10 says this, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, I don't know everybody's financial condition. I don't look at the books. You're like, whew. But God does. God doesn't just look at the books. He goes beyond that and looks at the heart of the giver and because he, he so desires givers to be cheerful people. Because it reflects a nature of worship. Oh, be careful, young people, older people, youth. Be careful of loving money so much. Our world is so fixated on the reality of making the career. How much money do you want to make? What occupation you're going to choose? So often that is chosen, not because they pray about it or it's the will of God, but because of a dollar figure figure that is associated with certain occupations. Do what God wants you to do and allow him to provide whatever he chooses to provide for you. He'll take care of all that stuff. So often money is a, is a course of planning that people are so uh, nervous about it that they'll say, and I've heard even young couples say it, like, well, I don't know if we have enough, if we have enough money to be able to have children. Let me just tell you, you are never going to have enough money to have children. You will never have enough. In fact, as they get older, it just gets worse. But you know what? We have as parents and benevolent fathers and mothers opportunities to demonstrate what it looks like to care the way the Heavenly Father cares for us. Don't fall prey to this, this concept and idea that we have to meet a, social, a certain amount of income before we were comfortable with this. Whether it's children, whether it's our oral lives, our certain ways of what we drive, how we dress, God cares, does not care about any of those things. He cares about your heart. He cares about how much you love him. This sets the stage as he walks into this reality to talk about the story of the dependent and the sacrificial in Mark 12. It says here in Mark 12, verse 41, he says, And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him, and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who have contributed to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. You can note it in the, in the book of Mark. If you read through the Gospels, you'll note several occasions all throughout the book of Mark that all of a sudden Jesus uses this phrase, truly, truly, I say to you. When you find Jesus saying those words, stop and pause for a moment because he's about to, to say and give some principle that is absolutely profound. 
In fact, in this case, here he's teaching, he's given the woes and, uh, to the scribes and the Pharisees. They find themselves in the court of the women because this is where the offering boxes were. Of course, that's why we don't pass the plate because, because we have offering boxes in the back. We're trying to be as close to the Old Testament, New Testament as we can. Just kidding. But somehow, here they are, they're sitting there, and Jesus sits down in the court of the women where these boxes could be visible. And now often what they were is this uh, box that looked like kind of a horn that came out of the box, and you would drop your money in the receptacle that looked like a horn. And there was all different boxes. There was about 12 different boxes for different uh, sacrifices that they could make, and, and, and a box for just a general uh, donation that they just wanted to give out of the abundance of their heart and joy. And so there they were in the temple that day in Passover, and Jesus is observing with his disciples all the different kinds of people who gave. And all of a sudden he recognizes there was two different kinds of givers, those who gave who were rich, and then those who gave virtually little, but appeared to be more rich than the other ones, which is kind of profound. Wait a minute, they, the widow didn't have a whole lot. And yet Jesus is saying, there's something about what she did. There's something about the way that she responded to life that was so different. Well, notice this. He says to, he says to his disciples, he pulls them aside, he sits them down, he says, Truly I say, this poor widow has put in more than all who are contributed to the offering box. And he had told them, two small copper coins. I mean, here, uh, the two small copper coins, which equaled uh, barely a penny, by the way, uh, is virtually nothing in numeric value. I mean, no one would get a meal off that. And yet, here this widow comes in. Well, I, when I was in Israel... I was at a, a dealer's shop and bought myself, or I got myself, two mites. You can see how small they are. I mean, here the widow comes and puts two of these in the offering box. And Jesus notices, and Jesus notices and says, wow. Let me pause for a moment and ask you as a Christian. When Jesus looks at the way you give and the heart you give with, is he pleased with you? Is he pleased as you stand before the Father in heaven and can honestly say, I love you and this is a gift out of my love for you for what you've done for me? It's not about the amount. Now I know many times in the course of teachings on on the idea of tithing and stewardship of money, that you will often go to the Old Testament and, and Christian people have often built this reality of the idea of the tithe. A tenth of whatever it is you have. Certainly that is an Old Testament principle. However, the tithe is really not, uh, is not really declared in the New Testament. It's talking about giving sacrificially out of grace. And when people did that, they, they had all that they needed when people's hearts were filled with sacrifice. In fact, so many of the people would, would come to sacrifice at the temple just to under, you understand that the collective wealth at the temple 
was so great that when Titus came and sacked Jerusalem and destroyed the temple and carried off all the gold and all the wealth, that that's, how they, that's the money they used to build the Roman Colosseum. Because there was so much money in the temple. You can see why Jesus was stepping on the toes of the, of the, of the Sadducees. Because now he was, he was messing with their income. Because you remember the Levites, who are often chose out of various components of this, were not given an inheritance. They were, they were funded from the tithes and offerings. I, don't, I think a tithe is a great place to start. I don't think it's a, a mandate of the New Testament, because grace giving is the mandate of the New Testament. But I don't know, from, from, I don't know anybody in the sense who, who can't begin to think, I can give something. Oh, I'm so thankful to my parents for, for the time that I was young at 15 years old and I got a job. And probably one of the first questions my dad asked me when I got my first paycheck was, what are you going to give to the Lord? And for years upon years upon years, he ingrained that into, the, into my own mind. That doesn't belong to you. You know that, right? You know that's not yours. So what are you giving back to the Lord? Because he blessed you with that. How are you going to use it to be able to be gracious? You know, one of the bad things about not having a job or income coming in is that you can't be benevolent as benevolent as you could be if you had more. See, God has no problem, and nor does the New Testament, have any problem with people being extremely wealthy. I know, you want to be in that camp. But God knows each of our hearts. And you know what? If he hasn't given you that, it could just be because he knows it would destroy you. And so out of his mercy and grace, he saw fit to withhold it for your benefit. Money's not going to make you happy. Jesus pointed this out in the widow's offering that when she gave these two small copper coins, one sixty-fourth of a denarius, barely a penny, with a heart attitude that was golden before the Lord. Jesus noticed. And he used it as an opportunity of teaching. What, what did she have? Nothing. Well, think about that. If you think, well, I don't have anything, and she was willing to give, guess what? You have something to give. You can give your time, your talent, and your treasure He's not so concerned about the amount that you put in the offering box than he is the heart attitude with which you give it. You might even think to yourself, and I've run across a few of these before, somebody who is very wealthy, and they almost feel like they're ashamed because they have so much more than everybody else. Can I just comfort your soul for a minute? It's not about the fact that you may have more money than everyone else. Is your dependence upon the Lord great? Are you using it in ways that are, that are blessing other people, that are using it in God-honoring ways because your heart is so in tune with God? If you're one who has very little, like the widow did, I mean, are you willing to sacrifice and give something with the right heart attitude? Now, you might think to yourself, you're probably thinking, Man, what if there is a first-time visitor in the house? <laughs> Reality is, 
is that when the Bible speaks about whatever it speaks about, we, we talk about it unashamedly. And you know what? If you look and, you, and many of you have gotten your statement of giving, have you noticed something about what God is doing? He's blessing. There is something so incredible going on here that people, unbeknownst to each other, but only known before the Lord, are giving out of the joy of their heart, and it is bringing in resources that are taking care of the body's needs. Wow. I mean, don't you love the building we get to meet in? Don't you love the fact that we got places for children and all these kinds of things and, and things aren't falling apart? That happens because people are willing to give generously out of their wealth and riches because they see something bigger. It's not just to have a certain auditorium size. It's because they love the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? There are many of you in here who are those people. And God is so pleased with that. I've challenged myself every year for over two decades in the month of January that I go back, I look at my budget, I take a look at what I have, and I say to myself, Josh, you're going to give more this year again. Every year for two decades, no matter if it was $5, 50 or over whatever it was, there was something that I could do or give up so that, so that I could be a more sacrificial giver. I'll tell you what, there is a joy that happens at times when I think uh, many portions of our life where I've thought, Lord, I, didn't, I don't even know where that came from. <laughs> and I got a statement of giving and I thought, Lord, this belongs to you. I don't, I don't, I don't even need any more. You just loved me enough to take care of my family and you never once put me in jeopardy of begging for bread. He always cares for his people's needs. She had nothing and yet, and yet she had the riches of God in her heart. It's why it was so different than the, than the proud scribe and the, and the rich who would come and give. It was, it was given out of trust, out of faith, she had next to nothing, and yet it didn't stop her from trusting God because the more she trusted God, the more she was willing to sacrifice. She walked away from putting her, her two uh, small copper coins in there and trusted that God would somehow provide for her by, by the time the next meal came. Now, I'm not asking you to do that. Jesus is not asking you to give everything of your money this morning. He's asking you to have a sacrificial heart. Why was this so important at this time period in Jesus' ministry? Because part of the whole point of this story that demonstrates a heart attitude of sacrifice is because Jesus was saying to his disciples that followers of Jesus are willing to give it all. Because in a few days, Jesus was going to give it all. And he was going to be hung on a cross for the sins of the world. And Jesus was saying to make the point to his disciples, look at this woman's faith and sacrifice. It models the very thing I've been telling you that I'm going to do for the sins of the whole world. Oh, Christian, I would challenge you this morning. Where is your heart? Is it filled with joy? Sometimes I don't even like, uh, people will always think, well, well yes, I 
tithe or I give or whatever it is uh, that you're giving, and they just put it on the, the, the rotating basis of their uh, bill pay. There's a portion of it where I like to actually hit submit, even though I pay it online. I like to hit the submit button because I like to be able to say, Lord, this is for you. Thank you for what you're doing in our life, how you're caring for us, how you're, how you're gracing us with your presence. You've given us far more than we could ask or think because of your love for us. And be able to say, Lord, I, I am so thankful that you allow me to be able to give in this way. It's because of you that you've allowed us this privilege as a family. It's on the every year basis that I'll sit down with my wife and say, well, it's that time again. And she can look at me and say, hey, let, let's sacrifice. Moments where she knows that she can come to me and say, if something stirs her heart in a certain way, she can come to me and she'll say, I want to give to that. Let's do that. It was off my radar, but it was on hers. It's like, we figured that in. I would encourage you, even if you're, if you're, if you're there in your own life and you're thinking, well, I got a budget. Do you budget giving? You should. It should be one of the first things you do because God desires the worship through all of the things that you have, your time, your talent, and your treasure. Give from your heart of faith. Let it be out of trust, out of sacrifice. Plan to give sacrificially. Plan to look for needs of people. You know, all the needs don't have to come from the, the benevolent fund, by the way. If all of a sudden you see a need of a person and you have the opportunity to meet it, you can do it behind the scenes with nobody looking and you can allow that to be given because you love that Christian brother or sister or someone in need. God desires that. Give to the Lord with an attitude of joy. I hope that when you put money in the offering box or as you send it in online, that God sees your heart of joy and he, and he is just excited at what is overflowing, is the overflow of the worship of your heart. I am not so foolish that over the years of ministry, one of the things that I have often found is that a person's giving stops long before they stop attending. Not because I see records, but because you realize that after they're gone, nothing, everything stayed the same. Don't be that kind of person. Don't be a person who gives out of the generosity of their heart. Why do we do this? Because, because what happens and what is told to us in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich in Christ. He, want, he desires more than anything else for those here to be a believer in Jesus Christ, to repent of their sins and turn to him by faith. It is out of that heart of thanksgiving that any good work will ever come that all of a sudden overflows into this idea of worship. And I would encourage you this morning, have you evaluated this portion? How long has it been? Are you willing to give more? Do you find needs that need to be met? Do you find yourself being that sacrificial person? Or are you just proud? And you don't pay attention to it. And you just give enough to suffice your conscience to say that you give something. Hey, I got, I got something. So I feel good before the Lord. 
exercise your faith and grow in your giving. We talk about a lot of things about growth. I mean, we say grow in joy, grow in the spirit, grow in self-control, grow in kindness. I don't look at money as any different. Grow in the way that you sacrifice of your wealth. Grow in the way you sacrifice of your time. Grow in the way you use your talents. All that we've been talking about over the course of this particular month is geared toward the reality that stewardship is far more than your money. God wants you to steward your life, Christian. Steward it in a way that that as you love him, that out of the overflow of your heart, that you would be one who would be freely giving of their time, freely giving of their treasure, freely giving of their talent. Why? I love this because in 2 Corinthians, as we walk through this particular text uh, that was read at our scripture reading, Paul says that the point is this, whoever sows sparingly also reaps sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his or her heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. If you're here this morning, let me just pause and say again. God doesn't want your money. He wants your worship. Money and resources are a way in which we can worship. You can take advantage of worshiping God in this way. He is never going to not provide for you. He is never going to not leave you unattended. Give as each has decided in their heart. My problem many times is that people don't even take the time to see what they decide in their heart about giving. Even if they've given a tithe for years, they could write a check for a tithe and it's just off their mind. They never pray about it. They're not thanking God. They're just putting it in at a sense of of obligation or just repetition. I would challenge you, don't just let it be out of repetition. Think, why are you giving what you're giving? Why? And think to yourself, is God pleased with what I'm giving? Yes, we want you to to do those things because God desires that to be worshipped in that way. Decide in your heart whatever that is. If you're here this morning, you say, I haven't given anything. Well, here's a great place. Decide in your heart. And if you all of a sudden say, man, like I've got $5. I can give that to the Lord this month. Don't you think he's happy even with the smallest amount according to the widow's two mites, two small copper coins, whatever it is, he is happy if your heart is in the right place. If your heart isn't in the right place, it doesn't matter if you're wealthy or poor or somewhere in between, keep it, get your heart right, and then give it out of the overflow of your worship because that's what he's after. He says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things and at all times that you may abound in every good work. There is a good work of grace and sacrificial giving that happens in the body of Christ to care for the needs of the body. Paul's benevolent spirit had him travel around because of the poor nature of the church in Jerusalem. And he would go to the places like the Philippian church and the Colossian church, and he's gathering money so that out of the abundance of what they would give is to say, we love you, we see your needs, and we're here to help meet them body of Christ can do that as we give in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. We need to ask ourselves this morning, 
Which, what kind of giver are you? Proud, arrogant, giving out of the abundance, it's not even really a sacrifice. Are you one who is giving out of the overflow of your worship? Are you giving because you love God? There's a joy to it because he sacrificed for you. You're willing to even sacrifice of your monetary wealth and time and your talent to give back to him what he has so graciously given to you. I pray that as you evaluate these areas in your life, that you will take seriously your stewardship commitment card. No one sees this but you and God. I really desire for you as you come and you bring that tonight to the annual meeting and you say, I'm going to put this in a sealed envelope and next year I'm going to get it back and you're going to be able to open that up and say, you know what? I grew this year in my time and my talent and the way I give my treasure and my outlook on what I have. And you can fill that out. Bring it with you tonight. There will be a box to place it in and then we'll put it away for the year and the whole goal of this entire month is for you and I to take seriously the stewardship of our lives so that as we meet our Lord and Savior, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray. Father, we are delighted to have the opportunity even to give because you have so graciously given to us. You give us bodies and energy and breath to, to, to have us function well, to hold jobs and minds that can think. And you've given different capacities and even different wealth. Lord, but no matter what you've given any of us, help us never, any one of us, to get to a point, a point where our security lies in our wealth. That we think we're safe because of what we own and how much money we have. Lord, our peace and our satisfaction comes from you who gave the riches of heaven in your son, Jesus Christ, so that we could be saved. Lord, help our giving over the course of this year to, be, to, to just display that kind of heart of worship in each one of these believers and in myself. In your name we pray, amen.